Thank you to the singers and musicians. Just beautiful this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, as you see. We're going we're to pick up our study in verse 9 in just a moment. I remind you that the author of the book, a human author, is Solomon. And, of course, this book has all the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So not only is it Solomon speaking to us, it's God speaking to us through Solomon and uh, giving us this great advice and trying to lead us to find our peace, our purpose, our meaning in life in the person of God himself instead of the things of this world, the things of life. Uh, it is a poetic book. It's one of the poetic books in the Bible. And therefore, it doesn't speak directly about issues as much as uh, it may uh, just uh, poetically uh, speak about these issues. And so that's the reason it's often misunderstood and misapplied and, uh, and misappropriated. So uh, we hope you're uh, enjoying this study. Now, before we look at verse 9 of chapter 3, turn back to chapter 1 for a moment, just those two, three first verses. We need those to remind us of what the book's all about. Verse 1 says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, that's Solomon, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Vanity is used 38 times in this book. The word vanity, it means emptiness. It means meaningless. Uh, it means void, empty. And uh, so he's saying all of life is empty. Now, when he says all is vanity, we know from the context in reading the rest of the book, he's talking about all. He, all of life, everything in life is empty and meaningless. And then in verse 3 he says, What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? Now that phrase, under the sun... Uh, is used 27 times. Under heaven is used three times, and so the, with the same meaning. So 30 times he uses this phrase. And so that's the, really the key phrase. Um, so all of this meaningless means uh, that you're, that's for people who are just living under the sun. In other words, you're just living a human existence without God being a part of it. God's above the sun. God is the creator and the sovereign one. If you don't have a relationship with him, then all of life is meaningless. You may have a million dollars in the bank and you may be terribly successful, but there's still something missing and empty and meaningless because we were created for God's purpose. We were created for God himself and we find peace and joy in our relationship uh, with him and so that's what he's saying. Life is meaningless without God. Life is empty without God. That's the phrase that gives so much meaning. Then turn over to chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And then we have that beautiful poem, that poem within a poem, uh, that runs verses 1 through 8. We looked at that last week and, of course, the songs that have come from that a beautiful passage of Scripture. So that brings us now to verse 9. And uh, notice it says, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Again, he's saying, What profit, what benefit uh, is there in life? He said, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised uh, in it. Here he brings God into the 
into the uh, subject matter. He's only mentioned God twice before this point. And now he says it's God himself who exercises us with this uh, travail of trying to figure out what life is all about. Verse 11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Father, thank you for your eternal word. Speak to our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Karen and I love Vacation Bible School. This is, and this was the best probably we've ever had, the biggest, and, and uh, it was wonderful. Just, we had a great time every night. I could not help but think, though, being here, I could not help but think about the seasons of life as it relates to Bible school even. Because in our text, in our study last week and this week, we're talking about seasons and times. By the way, I remind you, the word time means a, a point in time. The word season means a duration in time. So there's a time and a season for all things. And uh, so I got to think about Karen and I and our season in Bible school. When we were young, say 40 years ago, uh, but this was like 35 and 40 years ago, we, we did Bible schools for other churches as well. And there was a period of time there where we did 10 Bible schools a, a summer. Now think about that. That's back-to-back -back almost all summer long. Can you imagine that? That's when we were a little younger and our step was a little quicker and uh, our endurance was a little longer and that kind of thing. And uh, then over the time, we, we did, uh, you know, we'd do six and, and then we did four for a long, many years we did four every year. And now we do this one and, and only one more. And we really do that for a friend. Uh, and so uh, we, we love Bible schools, but we've seen how that's changed over the years. There was a season in our life when we could do it differently than we do now. Uh, when we came to gospel, Karen and I, there was about 50 people in attendance on a Sunday morning. So our Bible school looked more like, you know, 30 people. And, uh, and 10, maybe 10 workers and 30 kids, maybe 40 people there. That's what our Bible school looked like. And over the years, it has picked up and, and turned into this, I don't know how to describe it, tremendous, beautiful, big, exciting thing. And uh, it was truly that this week. Uh, Miss Karen was the, was the Bible school director for many, many, about 30 years. And uh, now other people are directing. The last couple of years, uh, Denya has been the director. And uh, so, and we got other people helping Denya as a, as a team. So, uh, it, the seasons change in life. I couldn't help but think of, of something in particular when it came to the singing. The, um, Karen and I used to, you're not going to believe this, we used to lead the singing too. Yeah. I mean, we, we just about needed a miracle every time we stood up there because neither one of us are singers. We would learn, we'd do the research, we'd learn the songs, and we'd learn the sign language. Now, we didn't use real sign language like our sign team uses. We just used motions that came with the VBS material, you know. And so we would learn, Karen and I would learn those motions, and we'd learn the songs, and we would teach the motions and the songs to the students. Boy, that is, that is a big difference. That is a real change in seasons. But what I'm getting to is that this year, and for the last few years, we don't even know the songs. Now, we, picked, we helped pick them out, but we don't know the songs, or we haven't even seen the sign language yet when we get here. 
So Karen and I were sitting right over on that uh, front two pews there every night during the Bible school. And uh, the person closest to us the first two nights was uh, Chloe Motzinger. And so she was the closest, so she was the one we were watching. And I thought, again, about the seasons of life. She grew up in one of those churches we used to go to every year. So she grew up with Karen and I teaching her the songs and teaching her the signs. Now, for the first, we're seeing those signs for the first time. We're watching her. She's teaching Karen and I the songs and the signs. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And the seasons of life come and go. But there's one thing consistent. And that is Jesus is Lord. And we can find peace and joy in every season of life. We can find meaning in every season of life if we find it in Him because He never changes. Our circumstances are going to change. Our health is going to change. But Jesus will not change. If you find your peace and joy and meaning there, it's secure. Well, that's what Solomon is trying to teach us. And that's what God is teaching us through this book. Now, with that said, let's go back to verse 9 and let's look at these verses a little bit. He asked the same question in verse 9 that he asked in verse 3 at the beginning. What profit uh, hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? Remember, the Hebrew word labor means more than just your occupation. It means other activities as well. Work you may do at home or activities or even hobbies and so forth. Uh, what's the benefit? What's the purpose, he asked? Under the sun, it's meaningless. All of it's meaningless. Uh, but not so uh, when we walk with the Lord. Then he goes to verse 10. I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. <clears throat> Why does God allow us to go on this treadmill? Why does God allow us to, to search for meaning and not find any? He's going to answer that question in this chapter in just a few moments when we get to it. And then he says in verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. You know, the word beautiful there means what we usually mean, use it to mean. That is, the Hebrew word does. It means something that's aesthetically pleasing to the eye. But it also means something fitting and good and something that benefits. And he makes something beautiful out of all of life. You know, there's something beautiful. If you can see it with the eye of faith, <clears throat> there's something beautiful about all the seasons of life, even when we cry and even when we mourn, to use some of the words in that beautiful poem in verses 1 through 8. Uh, there's something beautiful about all of it if we can have uh, the eyes of faith see the Lord working and what He's doing. Now, we have the benefit, you and I, of knowing the New Testament. The New Testament sheds a lot of light on the Old Testament. And, uh, and so we know that the, in the New Testament it says, All things work together for good to them who love God or call according to His purpose. And that purpose in the next verse says that we might be conformed to the image of Christ, His Son. So God is working all things together to mold us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus. If you're unsaved, He's bringing all things together to bring you to the place where you'll say, Yes, Lord Jesus, uh, be my Lord and Savior. And so in that sense, even the things that make us cry can be seen as beautiful with the eye of faith. So all things are, are beautiful, he says. 
Uh, and then it says, also, he has set the world in their heart. Now, I have to spend a little bit of time here. He has set the world in their heart. What would that mean? That word translated world can be translated eternity. Uh, look at your screen for a moment. Let's look at that word for just a second. Uh, the Hebrew word is alom. It means, according to Strong's, eternity, always, ancient time, continuance, etern eternal, forever, everlasting, perpetual. And then... The different ways the King James translates this one Hebrew word is interesting as well. Look at the way it's translated. English words used, again, this is all in the King James. English words used in the King James, this word, uh, alom, is, is translated ever 273 times, everlasting 63 times, evermore 15 times, and it's translated world only four times. One of the times is here, so it's only translated world three other times uh, in the Scripture. Zodiates defines the word like this. The word describes the span of time in which God is to be obeyed and praised. And again, Zodiates says, In the age to come there will be no need for sun or moon, for God himself shall be the everlasting light. See the word I've got underlined? Everlasting Light. That word everlasting is the same word that's translated world right here. And so most of the time in the King James and in other translations as well, this word is translated eternity or everlasting. Uh, and I think that is the idea that uh, Solomon is getting at. And I think it's what God is saying uh, to us. That God has put eternity in the heart of every man. That means that wherever you go around the world, there is a sense. People, he, mankind has a sense that there's more to life than just this, just this treadmill existence we're on. There's more to life. There's something eternal. And there's some kind of benefit in life. There's something more to life itself than just this treadmill we are on. There is a sense of that, even if we don't know what it is. There is a sense that that is true. A scholar, missionary by the name of Don Richardson spent many years in Papua New Guinea. And then he began to travel and, and visit other mission fields and particularly primitive people. And he's written extensively about his travels. And he says, everywhere you go, even if they've had no contact with the outside world, there is in every, every primitive person the sense that there is a God, a sense that there is more to life than just this treadmill we're on, and that there is something when we die, some kind of eternity. God has set that in our hearts. Or as, uh, that word set can be translated planted. And I like that. He's planted that like a seed. He's planted an eternal seed in our heart so that we have this sense that, uh, uh, that there's the eternal around us. Now, in the New Testament, God speaks about that as well. Now, this book is a poetic book. Romans is a theological book. What a difference. And, uh, uh, and in the book of 
of Romans in chapter 1, in verse 20, it talks about the creation itself uh, speaks to man and that man knows that there is a God and that that God is eternal. I think that's what uh, Solomon is saying right here as well. And then if you go over to chapter 2 of that theological book and verses 14 and 15, it says to the Gentiles. Now, most of us here, if not all of us, are Gentiles. Uh, you're a Gentile if you're not a Jew. And uh, so he says that to the Jews, they had the law of Moses. But to the people who didn't have the law, that's the rest of us, there's a law written in our hearts. There is a sense, there is a moral sense of right and wrong in everybody's heart. Now, we might sin against that, uh, th- uh, that uh, caution inside, and that may eventually uh, no longer bother us to sin. But there is that moral compass in the heart of every man. It can be led astray. That's the reason we need the written Word of God. But... There is eternity in the heart of every man. Even in the pagan worlds. uh, Even in the most primitive of people. That's the reason... uh, uh, That's the reason that the philosopher and... uh, Well, I've lost his name now. Pascal. Thank you, Miss Karen. The philosopher Pascal, who was also a mathematician, said this... He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator through Jesus Christ, His Son. And so there there is a sense that regardless of what man has accumulated, how successful he may be, there is something missing until we have a relationship with the God who created us. Because... He created us for that purpose, and without that purpose, something is missing in all of life. And that's what, uh, that's what Solomon is saying. Everything under the sun, everything, if you don't have a relationship with the Creator, everything is meaningless. But if you have a relationship with Him and find your purpose in Him, then you can find purpose in all of life. So God has put in our hearts that eternity. And then He says that no man can find out the work of God maketh from the beginning to the end. We have a sense that there is a God, but we can't figure Him out. We'll never fully understand Him and His work from the beginning to the end. And then he comes to verse 12, which is the, the second of those seven conclusions I told you. In this, in this book, there are seven conclusions. This is the second one. Notice what he says. I know that there is no good in them, but... For a man to rejoice and do good in his life. Now that that reads a little rough. I know that there is no good in them but except for a man to do good. There's no good except for a man to do good. Now this is not a theological statement about the sinfulness of man. But this is saying there's, there's no better thing than that a man would do good and rejoice in God's blessings. For instance, look at the, uh, if you turn over to that first uh, summary, conclusion, in chapter 2 and verse 24. Just turn there just for a second. Notice it says, there is nothing better for a man. There is nothing better is the exact same words in the Hebrew 
as what is translated in our text there when it says, uh, I know there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice. So again, the idea here is there's nothing better for a man to do than to rejoice and then to do good in his life. The word good means uh, moral goodness and it means good things and good deeds and things that are helpful and so forth. So do things that are good and helpful and have meaning, have purpose and do those things, but rejoice, enjoy life. And then verse 13, and also uh, that every man might eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor, for it is the gift of God. Now again, this is not the Epicurean's view of eat, drink, and, and uh, we die, tomorrow we die. Uh, not at all. Uh, this is saying the blessings that I have come from the hand of God. They're a gift from God. I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to enjoy my meal. I'm going to enjoy my beverage. I'm going to enjoy my labor. And the word labor there, again, doesn't just mean your occupation. It means hobbies and activities and so forth. Enjoy life. As the New Testament tells us, God's given us all things to enjoy. And so that's what he's saying to us. Look at verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that man should fear before him. Now, the first part of that verse speaks of the sovereignty of God. You can't change anything that God has set in motion. You can't add to it or take away from it. For, for instance, the seasons. Uh, you can't change the seasons. God's put those uh, in motion. You can't change. You can't add to. For instance, let's take the subject of salvation. You cannot add to what Jesus has already done on the cross. Jesus said, it is finished, completed. Jesus paid the price for our sin. You can't add to it. You can't take from it. You can only get in on it. God has planned it, and God has ordained it. You can get in on it, but you can't add to it or take away from it. And so it is with all of life. So get in on what God's doing, and be a part of that, and find your joy and peace in that. Then that last phrase, that man should fear before him. That's the reason, or that's the answer to the question asked in verse 9 and uh, in verse 10. Why does, why does God let us go on this merry-go-round searching for peace and meaning and can't find it? Because ultimately, he wants this search to bring us to him so that we might fear before him. Now, this word fear becomes an important word. This is the first use of it in the book. It's going to be used only five times, including this time. But it's very important because when Solomon comes to his final conclusion, those seven conclusions, when he comes to that final conclusion, this word fear is going to be the main word in his final conclusion. So what does it mean, fear? It does not mean that you're startled or afraid of something. By the way, one of the, one of the Bible school kids, I think it was Jackson, he, he really scared me. Uh, I can't remember where we were. He, we were somewhere upstairs maybe, I don't know, in the auditorium. I can't remember now. I just remember he just stepped out of nowhere and said, a, said it real lightly. He said, boo. That's all there was to it. It just caught me by surprise. I like to jump down my skin. Not that kind of being afraid. And it's not, it's not the kind of being afraid when you see an animal 
that's afraid of its mean master that's beaten it or hurt it or something like that and it cowers. It's not that kind of afraid at all. It's the kind of fear that you might sense if you were standing behind a rail at the Grand Canyon and looking off and you feel nervous on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? You feel nervous. You, feel, you just feel nervous because you're so, you're so close to something big and magnificent and powerful. Or maybe at Niagara Falls. I remember feeling that way at Niagara Falls too. I felt so little and that fall scene was so powerful. It just made you feel nervous. Now, you're not afraid you're going to fall in. You're not afraid you're going to die. But you, you have this awe. That's what this word means. An awe of who God is. That He is so big. He is so sovereign. He is so powerful that we align ourselves in a right relationship with Him. And so the word itself means to be in awe, to be in wonder of who God is, to surrender to Him because of that awe, and to worship Him. That's the idea. That's what He's working all of these things towards, to bring us to that place of worship, of, of awe of who God is in a right relationship with Him. And then verse 15, that which has been uh, is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Again, he's talking about the, the cycle of life. Whatever you do, you think it's new, somebody's already done it. And uh, if what people have done in the past, somebody's going to do it again. And so uh, the, you have the cycle of life that in itself is empty uh, without the Lord. And moreover, I saw under... The sun, there's our phrase, under the sun, that is without God. Therefore, I saw under the sun a, the place of judgment uh, that wickedness was there. And the place of righteousness that iniquity was there. What is the place of judgment? The place of judgment here on earth, uh, earth is the courtroom. He's saying, I see in the court of law, in the courtroom... That there is wickedness and injustice. One translation even translates it like this. I see that in the courtroom there is injustice. And uh, of course we all know how true that is. And then he says in the place of righteousness again where there should be people making right decisions, iniquity was there. Mingled with, the, mingled with good intentions and good people, mingled with that uh, is iniquity and, and wickedness and wrong motives and so forth in the court of law here on earth. That's under the sun. But uh, verse 17 says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. So he's saying there's coming a time. Remember? We're still talking about times and seasons. He's going to, in this same verse, going to mention the word time and purpose again. So he says, right now, uh, justice is, uh, is, is not what it should be. There's wickedness in the courtroom, but there's coming a time when God himself is going to set things straight. He's going to judge the wicked and the righteous. The righteous being those who are righteous in Christ, the redeemed of the Lord. He's going to judge us at the judgment seat. And he's going to judge everyone who's ever drawn a breath. And, uh, but that's in the future yet. And the, he's going to judge the righteous and the wicked. Look at verse 17 halfway through. For there is, uh, there is a time for every purpose 
and for every work. He's not doing it right now. But there's coming a time and a season when he will judge mankind. He said, I, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them. The word manifest there means to sift, to try, to mold. Uh, and so he's saying God is sifting man uh, to see what is there and that they might see that they are themselves are beast. And so he's sifting us so that we might see our now he knows what's in man. He wants us to see our own sinfulness. Then he's going to talk about man and beast. We might use the word animal. That man he's going to compare man and animal and how in the words here are the same. Look at verse 17. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts or animals. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. When it comes to dying, there's no difference between the animal and the human, man. We both die in the fact that we both die. And they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. <laughs> this is vanity too. A man dies like a beast dies. Put it in the ground, turns back to dust. Well, that's a depressing way to look at it, isn't it? Uh, but that's the way it is under the sun. But notice now what he continues on to say. Uh, then he says, uh, All go into one place, that is the ground. Uh, all are of the dust and all uh, turn to dust again. Then in verse 21 he says, Who knoweth the spirit of a man that goeth upward? and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth. You know, there's some people in our day, he's saying a human and an and a animal are similar in these ways. They're alike in these ways. We breathe, we die. He's not saying that we are animals. There are people today, of course, who are humanists and agnostics and atheists and uh, people who believe in evolution, they believe that man is an animal, you know. Not just that he has, uh, uh, there's a comparison like made here, but they believe he is an animal. But God teaches us that man is different. Man is made in the image of God. And man is made with that purpose of having communion and fellowship and knowing God personally. And so man is different. And so he makes the comparison. Then he draws the difference in verse 21, and that is the spirit of a man goeth upward. That is a redeemed man, but the spirit of a beast goeth into the ground, downward to the earth. Now, there are some scholars and good scholars. If you read commentaries, you'll find some good scholars who believe he's speaking theoretically here as still under the sun, and he's saying that uh, neither, uh, neither we, don't, we don't know where the beast goes, we don't know where man goes. And some translations have even added the word if to make it more readable. Uh, now, don't say if they did that, they're a bad translation. The King James adds words, too, to make it readable, you know. Uh, but I don't think the if goes there. I don't believe that's true. I believe he is saying here, we're the same in that we have breath. We're the same in that we both die. But the big difference is... The animal is gone back to the earth, and that's all there is. And the man uh, goes 
his spirit goes back to the Lord. The reason I believe that is in chapter 7, I mean chapter 12 in verse 7, he's speaking about uh, death. And, and look at what he says. Look back at your screen there. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't go over this part apparently. Yeah, I did, didn't I? Everlasting light. I went over that. Uh, here it is. Uh, chapter 12, verse 7. Solomon speaking. Same worded. Uh, the same wording, same terminology. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. So Solomon, is, Solomon knows the Spirit goes back to God, and that's the same terminology he's using here. So the, so the difference is the, uh, the Spirit of man goes upward. Then verse 22, he, he adds to that conclusion a little bit, and he says again, Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. That is, that is part of the blessing of life, is rejoice in your work. Enjoy your activity, your livelihood, and rejoice. See it as a gift of God. And then he, this last phrase, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? <laughs> the meaning here, I think, is that... <laughs> Enjoy what you have now because nobody's going to bring you... Once you get to heaven, nobody's going to bring you back and let you see uh, and let you enjoy the things here on earth. Enjoy what you have now while you're in this season. Enjoy the blessings of God in every season of life. You know, we had in our Bible school 31 people who called on Christ to be their Savior. 29 of those were children and teenagers. Two of those were adult ladies. On Wednesday night, some adult ladies came, and they heard the, the lesson, the message to the teens and the children, and they too gave their heart to Christ. Miss Karen dealt with them, and then Kelly Miller spoke with them for a long time, and uh, they gave their heart to Christ as well. What a glorious thing. What could be better in all of life than to point other people to the Savior and point other people to find their peace and rest in God himself. That's what Solomon is doing here. I love the story that's told of uh, D.L. Moody, uh, the one, of course, who started the Moody Church in Chicago and the Moody Bible Institute and preached all over the world. Moody was gone to a meeting, and he, when he come back, his wife asked him how it went, and, and she said, or he said, uh, it went fine, and she said, did you have any saved? And he said, yeah, I had two and a half saved. And she laughed and said, two and a half? How can you have two and a half saved? And uh, then she thought for a minute and she said, oh, I know what you mean. You had two children saved. Uh, I mean, you had uh, two adults saved and then you had a child saved. The child was half because he's little. Dale Moody said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I had two children saved and an adult. He said, you see, those children, now they have their whole life to serve Christ to make a difference, to walk with him. That adult that got saved, half of their life was gone, so they, they only count as a half. We had 29 whole people get saved and, and two halves this week in Bible school. There's nothing more important than your relationship with him. Find your peace and joy in him and your service in every season of life. Bow with me, please.
with our heads bowed, maybe you'd say this, Preacher, I'm not, uh, I know I'm saved, but I want you to pray for me because I want to find joy and purpose in every season of life. I want that for myself. I want you to pray for me that uh, I will follow the Lord and that I will fear before Him. That is, I will be in awe of Him and surrender to Him and worship Him. I want that for my life. If that's your prayer this morning, would you slip your hand up?